Our reading for this first Sunday of 2020 is drawn from the letter to the Colossians, chapter 3, beginning with the ninth verse. Those wishing to follow along in the Pew Bibles can please turn to page 246 of the New Testament. The part of the letter is inviting those who hear it to leave behind their former identities and take on a new self in Christ. Let us listen for what the Spirit is saying to us today through these words. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have stripped off the old self with its practices and have closed yourselves with the new self which is being renewed in knowledge, according to the image of its creator. In that renewal, there is no longer Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free, but Christ is all and in all. As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bear with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against another, forgive each other, just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you can trust, so you also must forgive. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. May all who hear the word of God be blessed as they seek to put it into practice. Many of you um, remember our oldest grandson, David. Uh, he is 11 and a half years old now. He was born just uh, a few couple of weeks uh, after we arrived here, but he was born three months early, right? And uh, so Janie spent most of that time in Las Vegas uh, with his mom, with his dad, and, and, and so on. And, and uh, the, the prayers and the interest are still appreciated uh, for him. He is uh, doing great. He is devoting himself about 20 hours a day to uh, Fortnite, but you know... Um, he is doing great. He is doing great. Frankly, I want to talk about his dad. I want to talk about Mosba. Um, Mosba, who I have uh, started calling uh, our family's Lebanese George Clooney. Um, can you see that? I don't know. I do. I do. Um, Mosba, we tease him a little bit because his English isn't perfect. Uh, he tends to talk about how he, um, I paid $5 for that. And so we tease him a little bit about how you make plurals in English. But uh, we don't go too far because he, 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 he is mindful. He has said that when you don't speak English perfectly, uh, a lot of people think you're stupid. That is something that he has kind of uh, received both passively and uh, a little more directly. And so we're just mindful of that, right? 
Uh, listen, uh, Mosbub grew up in Beirut, Lebanon, so he speaks Arabic as his native language. He went to French school, so he is fluent in French. He lived in a Lebanese diaspora, Lebanese uh, communities in South America for several years. His Spanish is way better than mine. Point being, English is his fourth language out of five. He also speaks Italian. Learned that since, right? So his English is, is effective, but it is not perfect. Nonetheless, he is not stupid. He is far from stupid, right? But because his English isn't perfect, sometimes he has to deal with that particular bias. The ancient Greeks, bear with me. The ancient Greeks, when they thought about people who didn't speak Greek, they had a word for them. Barbaros, from which we get our word barbarian, right? Because to them, people who didn't speak Greek, what they spoke just sounded like bar, 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 and that's how they characterized it. So we get barbarian. And eventually, it wasn't just those people who don't speak our language, it was those people are uncouth, those people are hostile, anybody who was an enemy uh, uh, was seen as being a barbarian, right? It became a term, a broader term, not just for people who didn't speak the language, but for people who were antagonistic, who were enemies, who were barbarous, who behaved barbarically, right? Um, that was the way the Greeks tended to look at things, and also the Romans did as well. Uh, one sign of being a barbarian in the ancient world, pants, yeah, <laughs> pants, um, uh, better outfit for war, you know, and uh, so barbarians tended to wear pants. Uh, at one point, the city of Rome, it was illegal to wear pants. Uh, fun fact to know and tell, I guess. Um, the other sign that you were barbarian is that you didn't speak the language of the dominant culture, right? That made you a barbarian. Bar, 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 bar. So where am I going with this? Part of it was I was drawn to that aspect of our scripture today. This word appears, barbaros. What is it doing there? We, we understand the statement being made here about unity in Christ. We understand when it says there's no longer Greek nor Jew, we understand that one of the major thrusts of the New Testament was bringing these communities together, uh, Jewish Christians who had been part of this culture, this religion uh, for their entire lives, and Greek uh, Christians, Gentile Christians who had come to it new uh, from outside and uh, so much of the New Testament, both Gospels and letters, is about making those two communities work together, come together. We understand that, no Greek or Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, just another way of saying that, whether you've gone through the ritual that makes you a Jew or not and how is that necessary? And we understand slave and free, right? We, we champion that in our modern age, that, that, that they have these old formulas, these verses in the New Testament that say there's no slave nor free. As a matter of fact, a lot of us wish the New Testament went a little farther with that, but still it planted the seed towards recognizing that people of different status, even of ownership status, were still equal before Christ equal in Christ before God, right? But uh, they're barbarians here. What are they doing here, right? 
They don't speak the language, but moreover, they are, they are hostile, they are antagonistic, they are enemies. What are they on the list? And Scythians, by the way, Scythians were the most barbaric of the barbarians. They were notorious for being barbaric um, because they had been such enemies. So uh, it drew my attention. How is it that unity in Christ can include, uh, include those who are brutal, who are antagonistic, who are barbaric? Or maybe to flip the question a little bit, why would our ancient texts include this term, this hostile term, this way of viewing people who come from the outside? Stupid barbarians. So we're invited to ask who they are, to, uh, to consider that. When we do baptism classes here at the church, there are certain passages that we use to emphasize, to explain, why do we do this? Why do we go through this ritual of, of, of being dunked in water and raised back up again? We start with just pointing out that Jesus did this very same thing and that one of the things we do as Christians is we try, we strive to do what Jesus did, right? He was baptized, we're baptized. And we have verses in the Gospels where he says that this is the righteous thing to do. It is a sign of submission, uh, a sign of literally uh, bowing uh, being submerged to the will of God, allowing yourself to, to be taken under that. So we, we uh, put that text before people who take baptism classes to explain baptism a little bit. We talk about it as being kind of a, a yes to Christ, a way of responding and saying, I understand myself to be a follower, I understand myself to be a Christian. Uh, Peter's sermon uh, gets this response. He says, uh, people say, what should we do then? And, and he says to them, repent, be baptized, every one of you in the name of Christ Jesus, so your sins may be forgiven and you can receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, right? It's a way of saying yes to Christ, a way of confirming our desire to be a Christian. We are baptized, right? Um, we talk about it being a symbolic death and resurrection. It's one reason why uh, scripturally we prefer immersion, right? A symbolic death and resurrection because Paul says we have been buried with him by baptism into death so that just as Christ was raised from the dead, so we too might walk in newness of life. If you listen closely, every time I baptize somebody, they come back up, uh, I usually remember to say, walk in newness of life. Okay. Um, another reason why. It's also about our unity, right? We all share in certain things. There is one body, that is the church, one spirit that animates it, but also one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all, and in all, that we share baptism, that we have that in common, is part of our unity. And so that influences certain texts that we have that are often understood to be statements of faith about baptism, formulas that may have been used to teach about baptism in the early church. In the one spirit, Paul reminds the Corinthians, we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free. Does that sound familiar? Um, and made to drink of one spirit. I tend to like Galatians' uh, version of this because it's a little more specific. As many of you as were baptized into Christ Jesus have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is no longer Jew or Greek, slave or free, male 
and female, for all of you are one in Christ Jesus. It appeals to the modern sensibility where we continue to struggle over our inclusion, our unity around issues of race and class and gender. It's there in the text almost 2,000 years ago. A reminder of what baptism means, and it brings in another little interesting verb. You've clothed yourselves with Christ. The earliest church, uh, people went into a separate building for baptism, and they, uh, they took off all their old clothes, symbolic of stripping away their old selves. And they entered into a baptistry. This is a, the building is gone, totally gone, but this beautiful baptistry in Turkey has been preserved. They would enter into this baptistry shaped like a birth canal, and then they would emerge into a new birth, plumb naked. And they would be clothed uh, in a white robe, right? A clean white robe, uh, part of their new life. In Christ, so that uh, John of Patmos in Revelation can talk about those in heaven who have come before the throne of God wearing uh, a white robe, speaking all kinds of languages coming from every nation and tribe. Right? The ideal picture of the church, the heavenly vision of who we are. We see some of that same language then in this Colossians passage. It doesn't talk about baptism, but it uses the language around unity and particularly around baptism. You have stripped off the old self. See, a reminder of that earliest form of baptism with its practices and have clothed yourselves with a new self. Just before this, uh, uh, the verse we gave Frank uh, talked a little bit about it. Don't lie, don't do some of these other things, but there's a whole several verses before that. Of just stop doing all that nasty stuff you used to do, especially with regards to language. You've stripped off that old self, put a new self on, and then we read, there is no longer Greek and Jew. Circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free. For all, uh, for Christ is all, when we put on the new self, when we've put on Christ, that language is used. That becomes our priority, right? For those who are in Christ, Christ is all. Christ is first. Christ has priority. When we make decisions about how we live, we look to Jesus Christ. It's become a little trivial nowadays, but, you know, there were those wristbands, right? Those WWJD wristbands, um, I mean, anything that becomes a tchotchke or a, a trinket becomes a little trite after a while, but the idea is part of what we see. Christ is all, and Christ is in all. We are part of a community where we recognize the presence of Christ in one another, in Jew and Greek, in slave and free, in barbarians, in Scythians, all of those. So, therefore, be also clothed with all these virtues, compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, and love, right? Clothe yourself with these things. That reminder that they have shed, as they shed their clothing in baptism, they have also shed an old self and been reborn into a new identity 
with a new and robed and clothed with a new way of behaving. So there is here a lesson for the barbarians, right? You used to be barbaric. You used to be barbarous. You used to practice barbarity. You were outsiders who behaved like outsiders. But now you are part of a new body. In Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. The verse just before this identifies them as aliens and now been brought into the community that Christ is the one who brings down the wall of division that separates peoples. It's a lesson for barbarians. Maybe in our language, in our sensibilities, it is a lesson for that part of us that still feels like a barbarian, right? That still feels uh, foreign. Uh, that maybe doesn't totally understand the language and is worried about speaking properly. It happens in church, you know. Um, the president took a lot of grief a while back for reading a scripture and calling it 2 Corinthians rather than 2 Corinthians. What a nasty thing to do, right? What a horrible thing to do. Yeah, to, to, to punish somebody because they say the term incorrectly, according to us, right? Um, so, so maybe the part of us that feels barbaric, the part of us that feels uncouth or even hostile, somehow divided, is reminded that we've been brought in through baptism. We are part of something uh, larger. We have been, if we were not acceptable, we have been made acceptable. Our inner barbarian. But there's also maybe a lesson for the Greek, and maybe for our inner Greek, right? That where we have had certain attitudes about others, um, where we have um, felt a certain way because somebody didn't speak properly, uh, or maybe we've seen them as being barbaric because we have uh, put a judgment on that situation. The Greek uh, needs to hear that these barbarians are one with uh, the Greeks, the Jews, with everybody who is in Christ. That inner part of us that would judge somebody else, that would allow a worldly division to divide the church because somebody's language is different, because their background is different, because they are perceived as being outside, perceived as being uncouth, perceived as being barbarians. If you go into a Roman Catholic church, the baptistry, the font that is used for the infant baptisms, uh, won't be up front. Uh, a lot of Protestant churches it is that do it that way. But it's usually at the entrance of the church, and there is blessed water in that font, and when, when the faithful come in, they are encouraged to, to dip their hand in the font, cross themselves, and when they do that, to remember their baptism. Remember your baptism. Which in a church that practices infant baptism is a strange thing to say, isn't it? Right? But here's the deal. It is remember that you have been baptized. Remember that. Hold that fact. Hold that element of faith within yourselves and allow it to claim you. But if we're going to think about barbarians in the church, 
It's also an opportunity to say, remember their baptism. Remember that those people whom you may judge, those people you may perceive in a certain way, that you may see as uncouth or even barbaric, who may seem to somehow be outside the pale, uh, people whom you may view not through the eyes of Christ or of God, but the eyes of the world, that you've allowed certain social judgments, certain worldly divisions to interfere with how you see others who are in Christ with you, that all that has shaped and shifted how you view those who, like you, have been baptized. Remember your baptism, particularly poignant for those of us who can uh, literally do that. But also, perhaps in so many cases, remember somebody else's baptism. About five and a half years ago, I met Basile Kumsia and his wife, Lauren Benura, and their daughter, Rita, in Beit Sahur, Palestine, right? Uh, lovely family. Basile attended college in Lynchburg, Virginia. He went to Liberty University in Lynchburg, Virginia. See, you know, don't you? Yeah. He was on a first-name basis with Jerry Falwell Sr., right? Um, they are a decent, caring, Christian couple. More recent picture, they've got another little, a little boy now, right? Um, who love their children, who love one another, who love Jesus Christ, and who seek to be his followers but happen to live in a country that many people don't even recognize as a country, a place that many people view as being particularly barbaric. Hmm? Partly because there are people from that country who behave in barbaric manners, at least as we see it. But also because we view their place as being uh, something that is seen, I think, not through Christian eyes, but through worldly eyes. And it influences us as to how we see them, if we see them at all. Christians in Palestine are often, I think, in the American church, invisible. Let me add here that I do not believe that Christian people, Palestinian Christians or otherwise, are inherently better people, more moral people than Jews or Muslims or anybody else or Israelis or, or anybody else in that particular world. They are not better people. We don't pay attention to them. I'm not suggesting that we might pay attention to them because they are better people. But I do want to suggest that because we and they share a baptism, that we are in covenant with them, and that we at least owe them our respect, our willingness to hear their point of view, their perspective on things where we may be more influenced by the world than by the faith that we share. A year and a half ago or so, I was privileged to meet face-to-face Ishimwe Leontine. Been corresponding with her for 10 years at that point, right? But went to Rwanda, had the privilege of meeting her, uh, a delightful 
uh, young woman, 19 years, just turned 19 last month, um, and uh, has a profound, expressive Christian faith, and lives in a country where, first of all, Christians were responsible for, uh, or partly responsible for a tremendous amount of barbarity, right? We know about that but where Christians are also leading the process of reconciliation where people who committed barbaric acts and victims of that barbarity are finding themselves reconciled. Tremendous thing. And yet the truth, her idea to put up the umbrella that, that I brought for her, but uh, cute little thing. Um, what I have found is that when a lot of people in the Western world think about Africa, all we seem to be able to think about is barbarity. Well, they just tend to kill one another, don't they? They're all very tribal over there, aren't they? And alas, prominent uh, people in our country have used a word to describe their area of the world that I can't say in church, right? Um, remember their baptism. Remember their place in our faith. Accord them that respect, and quite frankly, uh, the reconciliation processes that are going on in Rwanda is something that we could learn about. An area of life where they have found a way, I think, to be more ethical, more moral than many of us, where, where we still have these divisions that are quite unreconciled in our world. Barbarian. About 11 and a half years ago, met Bonnie Evans, right? Um, who uh, has great intelligence, but great intelligence underneath communication struggles, right? And uh, one of the amazing things about Bonnie was she wouldn't let you get away with selling her short because language was a problem. We remember and celebrate that strength of character. Even as we are mindful of our own particular biases that if somebody can't speak well, they might not be too terribly intelligent. Not true, right? So you can have your own examples, right? Of, uh, they may be ethnic examples, they may be political examples, they may be personal examples, they may be examples about ability and disability. But we have probably our own stories that we could tell, our own particular set of barbarians, uh, our own particular sense of self that may feel a little barbaric, or our own particular uh, um, cultural elitist biases our Greek within us that says, bar, 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 don't want to listen. Uh, I've made a resolution never to make resolutions. Having said that, this is an opportunity as we enter into all the things that everybody's telling us we're entering into to consider. And one thing we might consider is that who in Christ, who in the world, certainly, but even specifically, who in Christ might deserve a new look? A covenantal ear. Somebody we may have discounted. 
because of how they speak, because of where they come from, because of what they believe, because how they fit or don't fit our own particular biases or agenda. As we enter into this, can we hear that reminder that Christ is for us all and that Christ is for Christians in all?